Hey there, we're the Westlot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scoscowspo. Well, uh, we got a Nebraska game to talk about. A um, couple announcements right off the top uh, before we dive down that rabbit hole. Um, we A couple weeks ago, we uh, mentioned a possibility of something really cool coming up, and uh, we can now formally announce that. For the Iowa game, the Wrigley Field game, um, John and I were unable to go to Wrigley for that. However, uh, we are partnering up with uh, a, an amazing community bar, Northwestern alum owned. Uh, it's called Beer Miscuous. It is in Lakeview in the city. It's uh, the corner of Diversity and Racine and Lincoln. It's like a three-way uh, three-way intersection. The address is 2812 North Lincoln Avenue. Um, so we're going to be watching the Iowa game there. It's a 2.30 start. It's on Peacock. So like, if you don't have the streaming service Peacock, come on by Beer Miscuous. John and I are going to be there. It's an incredible place. Um, amazing selection, uh, you know, packaged beer to go. Just a really, really cool vibe. I've been there a lot, and I absolutely love it. And the fact that you know it's it's owned by a Northwestern alum, big fan of the show, uh, big fan of football. Um, it, come on down. We'll be talking about this uh, pretty much nonstop until we get to the Iowa game. Um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So hopefully. If you're not going to the game at Wrigley, come on by Beer, Beer Miscuous and uh, and say hi. Yeah, this is going to be really fun. Um, I'm excited. I have not been to Beer Miscuous yet, but this is a place that, Sam, you have talked up for a long time. And I've been like, I've wanted to go to this place. And then the way that this all came together, like, yeah, we're super stoked about it. So, yeah, for those of you who are around, but for whatever reason, you know, are not going to be at Wrigley. Yeah, come on in. Um, we're going to have a blast. There's another note too relative to this week's game at Maryland. There's something that because I think I hopefully we're going to be recording a short segment on site um, during the tailgate while we're there. So I'm not going to step on the specifics too much, but there are going to be a couple of Northwestern football alums um, from eras gone by um, who are going to be coming by the tailgate on Saturday because they are part of a documentary that's in the works right now um, relative to a story that we have heard before. It is an amazing story. Um, one of those kind of you have to hear it to believe it kind of stories um, that that involves a crazy ride that they went on while they were football players at Northwestern. And they're going to be there um, kind of talking with us, re- recording a short segment. Um, we will probably do a more substantial segment uh, down the road with them. But it's one more reason, like we always encourage you to all come out to the tailgates every week, but come out this week, especially just because there are going to be, these guys are going to be there and you are really going to want to hear the story that they have to tell. So come on by and visit us this week before the Maryland game. And Chris Giannini is coming up from, yeah. uh, from the Memphis area. So uh, it's going to be a really, really good time. Um, yeah. Shout, shout out for, for all of you who consume our yearly unhinged draft pod. You're familiar with Chris Giannini's work, especially if you, lis- if you watch or listen 
all the way to the end of those draft pods, <laughs> then you're really familiar. And I can't recommend that you come uh, and hang out with us enough. Have have we stalled enough? Can we? Uh, is it time to wrap it up? Do we? Can we? You know, I'll just add one little piece here. I, I feel like poor Iggy Dowling, you know, b- bodied into the back seat and bullied away, yeah. like not able to participate in any of this stuff. So, uh, Iggy, shout out to you wherever you're at. Um, but uh, no, it's gonna be it, I, like I I'm. It kills me that I can't be there this weekend. We've got some family stuff going on. Um, I can't make it up the week that that weekend in November, which which is. Similarly, a real bummer because I, I love um, Beer Miscuous, even though I haven't spent much time there. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm saving my chips for uh, aforementioned NU ice hockey engagements um, to be determined. So we'll, uh, we'll make it up there eventually. But um, yeah, these next two weekends are going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Come out, come out, join the boys, have some fun. All right. So I guess we do need to talk about the, this Nebraska game. Um Nebraska 17, Northwestern 9. U-G-L-Y. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, listen, I we need to start off by singing the absolute praises of the defense. Because, my God, they did everything they could and more to keep the, to keep the Cats in this game. And, like... We were really concerned about a number of different aspects of the Nebraska offense going into this, and the Northwestern defense showed up and played awesome. Just absolutely awesome. They were unreal. They were so flipping good in this game. And I guess I would say for anyone who's like, yeah, but Nebraska's down right now, or yeah, Nebraska's out their backup, or you know, Nebraska had execution issues and stuff. A little history lesson. For those of you who don't remember, two years ago, Northwestern went into Lincoln and played a god-awful Nebraska team that did not win a Big Ten game other than that game. And they lost that game 56-7 to to the Huskers. And the Huskers did the exact same thing all of that game that they tried to do for the vast majority of this game, run-read option. You all know we've talked forever about how we got this giant bonus in Ireland last year because of Mark Whipple and the fact that Nebraska decided to just not do the thing that they do for an entire game. Nebraska didn't try that at all this game. They tried to read option the crap out of us. And you know what? For like two drives, it worked. And that's where the majority of their penalty of their points came from. And you know what? They tried to do it every other drive also, and Northwestern totally shut them down. A performance to absolutely be proud of if you're a Cats fan. Yeah, not not only did we hold them way under that 56 points that you're talking about from 21, John, I think it's important to know because my first reaction when you texted that was like, yeah, but they had Adrian Martinez that year. Yes, but they also basically averaged somewhere between like 20 and 28 points in the rest of their games and Northwestern right. held them significantly under uh, that, that, that average. So like this was, this was impressive. I mean, some of the highlights, right? Like Coco Azuma coming downhill, annihilating the ball carrier, the defensive <laughs> he almost, line. He almost killed Harburg on that uh, play. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> right. Um, the defensive line playing out of their minds. Um, couple nice picks early on you know it's really unfortunate the offense couldn't make good on that like the defense put 
the team in position to win. And yeah, there was, you know, one busted long play where uh, they, they baited us with play action and, and connected on a deep ball. But beyond that, like Northwestern's defense played about as perfect a game as you could ask. And given all the concerns that we had going into this year around defensive line depth, con- considering the conversation we had with um, Bradley and David last week and, and just like tackling has been an issue for this team. They, they tackled well. They controlled the line of scrimmage. There, there were a couple of things that went sideways, you know, like, like we, we, we only rushed to a couple times, one time it worked and one time it really didn't. Um, so there's just some interesting things that the, that the coaches continue to try schematically um, with mixed results, but all, all in all, like it was, it was an, an incredible performance and it's, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of miffed that the, the team couldn't make better on it on the other side of the ball, but that's another story. Yeah. yeah also, also need to shout out special teams. I mean, Hunter Renner as yeah. bad of a season as he's had to this point was awesome. Yeah. Like he pinned Nebraska so far deep so many times, you know, four of his six punts inside the 20, uh, the one that just, they, they put it down at the one. That was awesome. Jack Olson, three of four, you know, missed the long one, but like he, you know, 45 yard. If you're telling me that, you know, Northwestern can kick a 45 yard field goal and has a guy who can do it reliably, we haven't seen that in several years. The, so. d- the dude has missed one field goal on the season, and he missed it right down the middle, short. That's practically not a miss. That's like, I'm like and it was like a fifty-plus yard field goal, right. right? I mean, it was short. Great. Now, like, we have a better feel for like his game range. It like he, he didn't shank it. He kicked it plumb, and it just fell short. Um, it's funny on the defensive piece too. So many times this season and rightly so and it's not like he doesn't get to take credit for this but we've sung bronze praises right um the way he works scheme scuzz talked about it earlier like he's furiously trying to do a bunch of things he clearly had this light pass rush package that he rolled out specifically for this game because he thought rightfully so that harburg was kind of a turnover machine but more so than we probably have in games past i want to just hammer home how good the guys were I mean, everyone, every single guy on this defense. If you take Kenny Soares, who logged heavy minutes in this game, as the number three linebacker, and we know that he kind of splits time with Rod Hurd a lot of the time, but he played a lot in this game. So that kind of makes this like a traditional three three linebackers with two safeties behind them. So that would be Mueller, Gallagher, Azima, Turner, Soares. Those five guys had 20 solo tackles. Um, that is, or sorry, they had, I'm counting it up right now. Is it 11? No. Yeah. 20 solo tackles between them. That is a ludicrous number. That means that's 20 times in this game where those guys probably chipped a blocker, took a guy down on their own. Um, we know from the way they were screaming in Azuma and Turner played, I mean, absolutely unreal football, but they all did. They were all so good. And on the defensive line, I mean, we've talked, um, we, who was it? I'm trying to think we were talking online with somebody um, earlier this season. Maybe it was Brad Locker, but this game being like, if you would have said at the start of the season 
that the Northwestern defensive line, particularly the Northwestern interior defensive line, would be turning in performances like this, we would all have just been blown away. Carmine Bastone is an is an example. This guy was a monster in this game in the interior. Um, he had two solo tackles, and it's wild because last year Nebraska was definitely his best game, which means this is a guy who again he's a walk on. He was going to go to Cornell, um, and he has two excellent games against Nebraska on his resume right now. And this is the better of the two. Um, And yeah, defensive line got nicked a couple of times on blown read option. But you know what? That's Nebraska. They throw that at you again and again and again and again. It didn't happen many times. Mostly it was individual efforts from all of these guys across the board um, just being spectacular. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could... So we could fill it all day, and I and, and we love to. Let's let's just throw a couple more things out. Four of twelve yeah. on third down. Yep. Yes. Um, they held Nebraska under two hundred and fifty yards. Now this this yes. game was played at a pace. Um, that like this was not going to be you know some massive this ma- massive game. Both both teams like the clock was running a ton, et cetera. Um, five yards per pass. Pretty darn good. <laughs> um. 4.2 yards per rush, not great, but decent. Two turnovers. Um, they did a really good job uh, across the board. Like, I, you know, um, I think if, if, if we can get this kind of defensive performance and couple it with uh, 21 points on offense, right? We can, like, easier said than done, right? But, like, that sure. formula, you you, you you sweep you sweep the West. You see a game yeah, like you, this, and you're like, "There's no way this defense can't keep us in Iowa, Purdue, Illinois." That's irrespective of what happens on the other side of the ball. If they turn in a performance like this, we're going to be in those games. Yeah, I mean, you give up 17 points. You you really need to be able to count on your offense to to get in the end zone. Uh, I mean, just yeah, at, at a minimum. I mean, 17 is something that you should be able to to get past. And, like, it is such a shame that this defensive performance was was wasted in this way because the offense just could not, you know, couldn't get it done. And there's a number of reasons for it. But I, I think I want to first start off. Everyone who's pointing their fingers at Brendan Sullivan, stop it. Yep. Just, just stop it. I mean, like, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, like, here's, here's, let me me get at it just like this. He, he he was not great, but he was not the reason that the offense only, only put up nine points. Oh, no, absolutely. And here's a perfect way to encapsulate it. Let's just go right to his roughest moment of the game. Um, It's that play in the fourth quarter where Marshall Lang, there's that, they're running that pick play to Lang to release um, and he was wide open and it was there and you got to throw that ball and that's a touchdown and that's the starting place. But uh, you, you want to start in this place because just like Sam said, there are all these people who just like wanted this to be his fault and wanted to call him out. And it's like, A, there's the piece of like Sam said, that's not how this game went down. Um, but B, I mean, I, I feel like we've, we're, we're broken records on bringing this stuff up, but this is 
an atypical season and a rough season for a tight community. And look, no one's telling you what to say. No one's telling you what to say online or what to say about anything. Like, do what you're going to do. But we just, this is one of these years that even more just drums home. Where it's like, what does it serve to take shots at a guy? Like, just to, to say that. Like, especially in a community where you know it's tight and you know guys are reading what's said online and things like that. It just, just doesn't serve a purpose. There's no, it doesn't help in any way. But the reason I start on that particular play is that play is part of a series that totally sums up how this game actually went down. Because whatever you think of Sullivan needing to throw that ball to Lang on that play and score that touchdown, the only reason Northwestern gets three points on that drive, which were the only three points Northwestern got that half, were because a couple plays earlier, Brendan Sullivan, in a moment of absolute individual brilliance, kept a play alive and found Bryce Kurtz down the sideline for 66 yards on a play when Nebraska rushed four guys, Northwestern protected with five, and three Northwestern offensive linemen blocked the same guy. That is how this game went. And... Again, it's like Sullivan had his good, he had his bad. But the story of this game offensively is that for anyone who primarily blocked in this game, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Yeah, but before we move off Sullivan, I want to make one more comparison. That's to talk about um, his last performance. So so after Howard, we talked a lot about how, like, A, that game was closer than it needed to be because of the way we went to some defensive backups in the back half, of the, like in the, in the back half of the fourth quarter and Howard was able to rip off a couple of quick scores. And that, that that's what made that game hairy at the end. But um, for the majority of the game, Northwestern was a control and Brandon Sullivan looked like a guy who hadn't played college football for uh, a, a little over a year. He was super tentative to throw the ball. Um, he was escaping you know, r- racing out of the pocket when the pocket was clean, um, holding the ball for a long time. I'm not going to say that all those ills were cured in this game, but he he progressed significantly from two weeks ago with the bye week, you know, with all this this time with the ones, et cetera. He was much more comfortable throwing. John, you talk about that, that throw to Kurtz. There was another throw earlier in the game to Kurtz where – he he stood in there and took an absolute shot and hit Kurtz for what seventeen or eighteen yards, um, kind of like on a wild route coming across, and he was um, he was he, yes he carried the ball fourteen times, um, yes he got sacked, but but here here's the thing carried fourteen <laughs> he times six he he carried six that's eight times. sacks yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he carried he, he carried the ball six times. Um, he got you know ping ponged around in the pocket a couple times. Like, yes, he missed that Lang play. Yes, he probably still holds the ball too long. He's you know not 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 super comfortable operating back there in the pocket. But it was significantly better than what we saw two weeks ago. And you got to give him credit. credit Absolutely, for that. absolutely. Yeah, thousand. And again, it's like with where we're about to go about about the offensive line and the tight ends. Really hold on to the fact that a guy can have a really rough game and then really pick it up and study and learn from that game 
and bring it to the next game. Because that's what Sullivan did, especially in the second half of this game. And I think, ironically, like Scuzz was saying, he he came into this game determined to do everything in his power to stay in the pocket as much as he consciously could make himself in a game where the pocket ended up being practically non-existent for most of the game. And yeah. yeah. So, 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 so let's just, yeah. just go down the list. So you mentioned the play where three guys block one, um, that, you know, there were a couple of other instances where, you know, Northwestern was struggling early on with Nebraska's defensive ta- tackles. And so they were trying to double team. You've got a new guy playing at center more on that later, but a couple of, you know, times where they just picked the wrong double team or, uh, or whatnot. There were, there was a play where the five offensive linemen like almost pinch in to block the three defensive linemen, allowing the two outside rushers just like free release into the backfield. And this was not like a run up the get or a draw play or something to like negate a team, a team pressure from the outside like that. It just was a brutal sack in the backfield. You had a play where, um, uh, uh, one of the, one of the tackles just didn't move with the snap either, like didn't hear it because of the crowd noise or was on the wrong cadence. You had, um, Lyman not finishing blocks downfield. You had, um, eight penalties again, much like Minnesota, eight penalties, mostly on the offensive line. Um, yeah, we had what four penalties against Penn state. We had one penalty in the Duke game. Um, so this was like one of the worst, one of the worst games for the for the offensive line um, with regard to penalties, false starts, the chop block that that killed a drive, etc. So like holdings, and, holdings. Yeah, I mean, like, everything. I, I, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, and um, I, like it could it could not be more of a a a polar opposite from what we saw two weeks ago or three weeks ago against a insanely talented Penn State defensive line where Northwestern like played their hearts out and did great. So like they, they can do it. They just didn't do it this past weekend. I mean, it was, it was so wild and you go looking for explanations and we three have talked about this amongst ourselves many times and you just keep coming back to, there's no explanation that covers all of it. There's no, like you can't like, for example, as Scuzz alluded to earlier, they made the decision to start Jackson Carcello instead of Ben Rather at center for this game. Um, and Carcello had a rough outing. That by no means separates him from any other of the offensive linemen or the tight ends. This thing touched everybody um, who blocked in this game. And you could be like, okay, well, that's, I mean, you're basically sent telling that's his like first real heavy game action in like this big situations. So you have that. Sure. But that, only explains a portion of it again like scuzz was talking yeah there are just you have all of these different things and again like we talked about we had the inside and you guys on last week and brad locker's been a guy who's been very i wouldn't say he's glass half empty but he's just been very like everyone needs to be aware that these protection numbers are really bad and even if you weight them by this game and this game and we are a little bit more in the camp of, and, and I stand by this, of being like, yeah, that's true, but you can't ignore the excellence of the second half of the Minnesota game, right? Um, and you can't ignore, again, like Scuzz said, the performance 
albeit not perfect and, and with a lot of problems, but against an exponentially more talent Penn State team. And a game where like the offensive line did everything right against Howard. And again, yeah, it's FCS football. Um, but they dominated the second half of UTEP, etc. And and these things all being like, none of us saw this coming. Like it was it was almost like you laugh to keep from crying and be like, well, look, like maybe they're just like emptying the tank on everything that can go wrong in a game. Um, another thing Scuzz mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I, so I like I, I there's one thing that really upsets me. And then there's a couple of things that I'm kind of like it, it happens. Right. So um, on the on the it happens front. Right. Like you, you made the change at center. Um I assume there was good reason for that. From what we can tell, Rather was not injured. Um, the the center is typically responsible for all the line calls, calling out the blitzes. Like this varies a little bit from team to team, but like you've got to think that that change, especially in a pretty difficult road environment, I might add, was a was a, was it had a really tough impact on 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 communication. So when you see guys picking up the wrong double team or missing the snap count or, um, or, you know, picking up the wrong free rushers, et cetera. Like you could probably chalk some of that up to just like a combination of they had a bad day and you had some different parts in place in a pretty hostile environment. The part that really bothers me is the fact that this came after a buy and for the team to be so sloppy and seemingly ill-prepared after a buy is frustrating. And like, this has been a, I'm, I'm, I'm operating off of memory here. So I did like fact check me on this if you want y'all, but like Northwestern typically doesn't look great after the bye week. And some of that is that the bye week is often, you know, in concert with Northwestern's midterms. Um, we've heard that, that story before that it's a, a tough experience, especially for younger players, et cetera. But for them to be this sloppy with the penalties, especially um, after a bye week, and it wasn't just, you know, new, I don't, I don't think Carcillo got called for any holdings or false starts. Um, maybe there was one, uh, one false start um, on the center, et cetera. But like, like, like more tenured players, senior players, guys that were starters last year, et cetera. Um, and that, that sloppiness to me after a bye week is just it's pretty inexcusable. And it's, it's just unfortunate to see it, but, but like beyond that, just a confluence of unfortunate issues that culminated in arguably the worst offensive life performance we've seen in quite a while. And um, it torpedoed, our chances of, of scoring enough points to win yeah. this game. And, and I know you're like, you all know we're big offensive line and tight end guys. Like we think that they're unsung positions. We think that there are a lot of really important things that deserve to be called out. Cause a lot of times these guys do great things that don't get noticed nearly enough. Like we love these positions and like, we know some of these families and like, like it's just, it was just that game, all caps, that game. Everything that could, I mean, like Nash Hutmacher inside, like just from a, just that guy who was 
an absolute monster in the interior. Um, Carcello had a ton of problems with him, but he was by no means alone. The entire interior of the line had massive issues there. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was, there's the other piece too, that I think Scuzz mentioned it a little bit earlier. Nebraska is a three, three, five is attacking three, three, five. Northwestern this season has absolutely had more trouble with attacking non 4 3 screams. That's Rutgers, that's Penn State, that's this game. Um, it's Maryland next week, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, really? Oh. And the other piece of that, too, is any team that can attack with a non traditional 4 3 formation sure is going to, I mean, because you know, the book Nebraska was looking at coming out of Howard is you send pressure at Sullivan, he leaves the pocket. Now we know that Sullivan was way better at staying in the pocket this game, but there still is a little bit of a book where it's like, put a guy in his face. And if you have to sacrifice coverage to do that, just gamble that Sullivan will not throw to that guy who may be open. He will try to do it with his legs. That's all just a a long way of saying every team's going to bring a ton of heat but especially the three, four that are already have attacking schemes. They're just going to try to bring five on every single play, which is what Nebraska did. And yeah, it's, again, you have to fight the same thing that everyone was like, I mean, and I, I'm going to cop to being a little guilty of it myself, like making one game about everything. Because if that would have been the Howard game, Brendan Sullivan would not have sat in the pocket for one second of this entire game, and he would have thrown for 10 yards all game, and he did it. He was a he was on fire in the second half of this game. He threw for 166 yards. That half is really close to being better than any other game a Northwestern quarterback has had this year other than the Minnesota game, okay? So keep that in mind. All of these offensive linemen and tight ends who, you know, like I think there were at least three tight end penalties. These guys are all, Braun said it after the game, they're all really hurting. They were, you know, they were in a really dark place. These guys are all going to do everything possible to learn from this tape this weekend and get better. And that's all we can hope for. Uh, Can we close the book on this one? Yep. Indeed. All right, let yeah, let's let's talk about uh, this Saturday's game against Maryland, um, a Maryland team coming off a bye uh, a week before. No, 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 no. What they do last? That week? was they last week. Illinois by three they definitely no, that, that was a bye. That was a week really before. Specific reason why we know that they had a bye this week. <laughs> I hate to say it. Yeah, no, they were no, they were off this past they, week. They were licking their wounds from losing at home horse. to Illinois Am the I week crazy? before. Oh yeah, I am crazy. You're right. You're right. Okay, they come. They're coming off a bye, but goddamn it, they lost to Illinois by three points the week before. Yeah, they sure did. They sure did. The reason we know they're coming off a bye is during the bye week, their co-offensive coordinator Kevin Sublin went down to Florida and got a DUI and is not going to be presumably at this game. Do we know? Do we know? Do we know that? We don't. I mean, we know he got. We know he got a DUI, but we don't know if he's going to be at the game or not. Yeah, that's true. Thing. Oh, I honestly have no idea, and and honestly, I don't have any idea. Again, he's co OC. I have no idea what effect that would have on the game. Regardless, um, as far as we know, Talia Tagovailo is playing in this game, and that's that's yeah. <laughs> we dodged that bullet last week last year. Uh, not going to get it two years in a row. 
So here's the interesting thing. Like Maryland has looked pretty good um, the first five weeks of the season. And those five weeks they played, and I might add, like their run defense was spectacular. Um, Talia had a couple like quiet games to start and then really kind of exploded. But they played during that stretch Towson, Charlotte, and Virginia at home, followed by Michigan State on the road, then Indiana at home. And they won all those games by a lot. And then they went to Ohio State, got smoked, and coming off of that, they lost to Illinois. So with a bye, you know, the 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 true Maryland sits somewhere in between there, right? Um, we know we know Talia is really good. He's also like, I don't know if you guys have this in his head, in your heads or not. Like, he's very different from the guy we saw in his first collegiate start sure, at the beginning sure. of the twenty twenty season. Talia doesn't really run anymore. He he's an excellent passer, but he's a pocket passer. I mean, he 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 carried the ball eight times against Illinois. Some of those are sacks. I I think I think five sacks by the Illini. I've lost the page now. Um, carried eleven times against Ohio State for twenty yards. Three times against IU for fifteen. I mean, he's just he's not he's not a dual threat QB. I think people have that in their heads. Now he's a really good passer. He's got some really good receivers, Deshaun Jones, Octavian Smith. Um, Maryland has a good running back in Roman Hemby and a fine offensive line. It's not as talented as Nebraska's on paper. It's not as talented as Penn State's on paper. It's a fine offensive line. But I think at the beginning of the season, I was quite worried about what this Maryland offense could do to Northwestern. But given the performances we've seen against Nebraska, against Penn State, um, against Minnesota in the second half, like this defense can absolutely hold their own against Maryland. We know that our secondary is talented. We can roll with these receivers and, and this passing game. It's This is not Riley Leonard 2.0. Um, this is a very different, a very different situation. Now it's, it's a, it's a very tenured, heady, successful quarterback in Talia Tagovailoa, and that's a lot to handle. But um, against Illinois, right, he was, I don't know, 60% complete, averaged 6.8 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, 27 to, no 27 to, 30, 27 to 39, 266, and two touchdowns. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, 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 a, that's a solid game. It's a solid game, but it's not, you know, gaudy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and... I mean, it remains to be seen what our offense can do to bounce back. It remains to be seen if Ben Bryant is healthy. Like these are all massive questions that that are going to affect the outcome of this game. But I, I think I think to this point, I have been under the impression like, oof, this Maryland game looks like a big mismatch, and I'm not even going to focus on it because it's not a Big West team. But that's no longer true. Yeah, and I think another thing too, and I think we focused on this a lot, partly because it's Nebraska, and partly because we're all just. We're coming off Nebraska and we're familiar with this traditional problem. Maryland can throw the ball and Maryland can run the ball, but they don't show you both looks on the same play. This is a team that throws Correct. or they run, but they don't do both at the same time. Um, in other words, like it's not a lot of read option looks. It's not a lot of that. Like They either chuck it or they give it to Hemby, and Hemby's a great running back. But in that sense, 
it's a lot more like what you'd see from Minnesota, okay? Except Talia's a way better quarterback. Again, when this offense is clicking, they go to an extremely high gear. But I think of Hemby breaking that back-breaking run for Maryland against us last year, right? And you, this is where you just got to give credit to the way the defense is playing right now. Like this defense is like, they're looking back at that game and they're thinking, look at the strides we've made. Look at the way we're playing right now. And again, like when there were breakdowns against Nebraska, it was read option based stuff. There was never a time where Nebraska went up the middle against Northwestern, something we were all extremely worried about to say the least at the start of the season. They're so much better at that piece of it. Um, they were great against Penn yep. State, especially in the first half. Um, like these guys are, they're coming out to stop this run game. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, but like there's a shot. And then, right, you're saying for that entire secondary, this Northwestern secondary that's played so well, um, but a lot of it against a lot of run based teams. You got Garnet Hollis, you got Theron Johnson, Oreadai, like being like, here it comes. Pure passing team. They're going to try to throw it a ton. It's it's on you guys, right? Um, and that's exciting. Like, we'll see. I, I'm one, I, I wonder if people are making too much of the fact that we haven't seen too many sacks. Um, you know, we, you, you talked about it. You know, we didn't get any sacks against Nebraska, but we weren't rushing the passer as a passer. Like, we were concerned about Harvard, you know, leaving the pocket and, run, and running. If that's not the case with Talia... Do you think we might see maybe a little bit more blitz action, a little bit more added pressure? We might. I mean, it's it's going to be one of those games, right, where Braun, you're going to see the work, the furious work. Like Scuzz was saying, Braun had a super special game plan for Nebraska. I mean, he was rushing two, rushing three. We haven't done that all year. He game plans like crazy week to week, and he's going to try to figure it out on the fly. I think um, Antosaka is a guy who, like to take the Nebraska game as an example, runs extremely hot or he can run cold. Um, He had a couple big errors. He also made a couple phenomenal plays. And Jalen Pate against Nebraska had maybe his best game as a Wildcat. Maybe his best game as a college football player. He was a dynamo. Um, He basically had two sacks in the span of three plays in the second quarter, neither of which he got credit for as a sack. Once because he was held and the other because... <clears throat> Harburg landed at the line of scrimmage, so it was technically a zero-yard gain. If you get that performance and you get the very best of what Saka can bring, like, go get him. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, it's reminiscent of what the UTEP game looked like from from a structure standpoint. So Maryland, Maryland has attempted 260 passes this year to only 219 runs. Um, yes, they will try to establish Robin Hemby early and it's going to be incumbent for Northwestern's defense to stand tall on that and to force them to, to be more of a, of a throwing team. Um, I, I mean, against Illinois, like they, you know, Hemby averaged 5.8 yards per attempt. The backup Antoine Littlejohn, Littleton a- averaged 4.2. So it wasn't like Illinois shut down their run, but they held it in check enough that Maryland threw the ball 40 times in that game. And the the success that Braun has had rolling out the Pate Saka Soars 
group as pass rushers and the combinations and the mix mixtures that he can put there when you don't have to worry about that RPO game or that, you know, that running quarterback, it, it makes a big difference. Um, sorry, not RPO read option. Um, cause RPO is still a, a major feature of, of the Maryland offense for sure. But, um, here, here's the other thing about here's, here's the one downside is that something Harburg had a lot of success with Nebraska was extending plays running outside and then finding a guy at the sticks for a first down. That is that mobility and that, um, that extension of plays and getting out of the pocket is, is certainly something that Talia is, is quite capable of doing. And they are going to need to be hyper prepared for that. Again, they did quite well against that with Nebraska last week. It's just that Talia is a hell of a lot more talented than Harburg throwing the ball. Yeah. John, I have a, I have a very deep specific defensive question. So when I look at Maryland's, top tacklers. I don't know that I've ever seen this. Three of their top five tacklers are defensive backs. I mean, it's a defense that I didn't have high expectations for coming into this year. And it's funny you talk about the defensive backs because some of the word, especially early on, is that they were a stout, they're a stout team a little on the defensive line, which is pretty amazing given how much turnover they had in that unit. But their their DC is a D line based guy. I mean, we've talked about it before. Like their um, he was not the first choice. They went through this crazy carousel of DCs um, a year ago that led to him kind of just being the the guy by default. And he's done a good job. Like you look and you're like, well, are these numbers great? No, they're not great. But traditionally, Maryland's horrific on defense. So. Um, they're an interesting team. I mean, and on the flip side, one of the big things that everyone needs to remember, we talked about this because it's kind of a freak thing statistically. Brendan Sullivan almost beat Maryland last year. He, he completed 18 of 24 passes for 143. And granted, those are all short yeah, passes, but let's all put ourselves in the position that this team was in last year, right? Um, and basically... He threw a pick on the last drive and heading into that drive, he had done some great things. He had one tip. He had one TD. He had one interception. Um, he had run for 53 yards and another TD. He'd had a great game and he threw one up for grabs, but that's how close he was going into the last drive of the game. That's last year. So keep in mind, when you look at the improvement from the Howard game to the Nebraska game and then taken into account he played maryland on the road last year he knows this team he knows this defense okay now yeah it's the offensive line's got a lot to work on but you have all that and we talked about like this statistical rarity we looked it up the amount of times a northwestern quarterback in recent history has started against the same team two years in a row it's almost non-existent um ryan halinski started in that horror show in Lincoln in 2021 and then beat Nebraska and Ireland the following year. That's the only time since Clayton Thorson, other than this coming game, that a Northwestern quarterback started against the same team two years in a row. Um, you have to go back to Thorson in 2018, which is cra a, a crazy ludicrous stat. But we've had a paucity of experience of guys getting the same look at the same team twice. Do, doesn't that underscore 
the experience we've all been living since 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I, I want to double down briefly on that. Like I was just going, as you were talking, John, I was going back and looking at Maryland's other games because that, that those tackling numbers from their defensive backs are just weird to me because typically you, you don't want to see a team that the leading tacklers are DBs. You want to, you want your linebackers up there. Um, like, of course you're, you know, some of your safeties are going to be, you know, really important in run support, et cetera. But like, to have three DBs in your top five is just is just odd. And when you look back, it's yes, Maryland won those first five games by a lot. The teams that they played were pretty balanced and run pass. What it what it tells you is that this is not the strongest defensive line. And there's going to be a much like this has the potential to be a get right game for our O-line. I don't say that to be pie in the sky. I don't say that to be Pollyanna. That's just what the statistics tell me and what the reality of like, we haven't seen, we've seen this O-line be up and down this year, but it's been that up and down. And there's a great opportunity for here for them to fix a lot of the problems from last week. And assuming that, um, assuming that the, that, you know, Casello plays again at center. Um, hopefully, you know, the communication and some of the, the continuity is a little bit better now in game two. Being home at Ryan Field is going to help a lot because of crowd, oh, yeah. crowd noise, et cetera. Um, I, you know, again, like probably still the biggest variable for this game is Ben Bryant and if he's healthy or not. So I, I'm in, until I hear otherwise, I'm going under just the assume assumption he's that not, he's not going to play. Yeah. yeah. I believe, I believe they've all but said it's Sullivan. God, yeah. Wow. Okay, so I, that, I mean, that, it was like it's day by day, but you know that to me is like nah. I I missed it when they said that or that earlier this week. So that that's a really good call, and that does just kind of like emphasize what you said earlier, John, about like Sullivan played this team last year, and that matters. So um, you know these these are the chips, and we'll see we'll see how they uh, how they come out in the wash on Saturday. The other thing too is like to me, technically Nebraska plays again. This goes to. The way everyone's going to play Northwestern going forward, really since the Howard game. But Nebraska technically is a 3-3-5 stack. And at Syracuse, uh, their D.C. didn't have a reputation for bringing a ton of heat. But they sure as hell brought it against Northwestern because that's the book. Because they're looking and being like, quarterback wants to leave the pocket. This defense has trouble with three linemen defensive fronts and bringing heat. So you're going to see the exact same thing from Maryland. It's three down linemen. And they're going to bring at least two other guys on every play, one of whom is 100% going to be one, if not both of the outside linebackers. Because they've seen Rutgers had success with it, and they sure as hell saw Nebraska have success with it too. So the offensive line knows what's coming. It's another three-man front, and five men are going to come on every single play. And it's like you've... Got nowhere to go but up, but at least you know exactly what's coming and exactly how you have to start fixing these leaks. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. 
Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go Cats. Shall we uh, quickly recap the week that was in the Big Ten and uh, talk about this weekend's games? Just real quick. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and I, 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 you know, there's this whole Michigan situation that I just don't want to get into because there's a <laughs> You don't want to get in between me and Scott. So. Well, I mean, I, I guess I could just let you guys go at each other and see what, no, see what happens. I have no, but. I have no energy left. This is this pot. This conversation's happened to off pod, and yeah, we're just like there. Yeah, we we generally agree that like on on what happened and how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. where, where we disagree yeah. is like our faith in the system to actually like hold anyone accountable for what like most likely happened and the existence of right. like, you know, documented evidence that can, that can bring true penalties to bear. So, um, right. Much, much like, much like Ben Bryant's status. I like, I think we are safest just assuming nothing is going, nothing bad is going to happen to Michigan <laughs> until it does. And that could be like in two weeks or that could be in like five years. Yeah. And, and, that's this is the NCAA. Right. So. And they were like, uh, I saw something today that said, "Hey, the Big Ten doesn't have to wait," and I was like, "Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. We'll we'll see just how much sway Ohio State has, I guess." Although the well, the new the newest development is that um, this dude who bought so basically this this assistant this volunteer former Marine um, bought a bunch of tickets was vol- was volunteer was now on yeah on now staff on staff but, year, but yeah. he he went to Michigan opponent games. To essentially scout them in stadium, um, previous like before Michigan played them, and like w- was recording on his phone and stuff, which is it's a no no in a lot of different ways. Like um, there are rules against it. There are rules against it. I think it's pretty easy for this dude to say, "Oh, I was just acting on my own." Yada yada. yada. But um, the new thing that came out since our last round of discussion earlier this afternoon, John, is that it's not just Big Ten games. Apparently, he went and scouted like four potential college football playoff teams last year. Um. So it's not just the Big Ten now, which uh, I actually think adds a little bit of fuel to the fire um, that could be burning under um, under Michigan's Well, seat. that's the thing. I'm like, I know you're Michigan, but I mean, how many like how many of these blue bloods can you piss off? If you piss off Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. Well, like Ohio State, Ohio State gets pissy about it. And everyone's going to be like, OK, you just hate Michigan, yada, yada, yada. Mr. Greg Sankey comes for you. Like, yeah. that's a different story. Yeah. And I mean, so Kirby Smart came out today and was like, "Yeah, we played him. I we didn't see anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not, nothing, nothing. They did really matter to us. Oh, I love it's it. Just opportunities to take shots. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, little brother. So yeah, so whether or not Michigan had or had did not have a Michigan State signals <laughs> did not matter. Did not matter. No. Forty nine to nothing. No. Michigan wins. Um, J- it's a, JJ McCarthy doesn't need no signals. Yeah, no, nah, it's true. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State, who boy, uh, twenty to twelve, Ohio State wins. This was a, like a heavyweight knockout brawl. I kind of there. I I would say this. I I am not very sure that Marvin Harrison will encounter either of the quarterbacks who played in this game during his time in the NFL. <laughs> it, it did not. Well said. It did not have that smell. Um, boy, yeah, Allen. Like, boy, oh boy. Um, to, to, if, if anyone wants to discuss this game, 
and and get a very a a seething hot take. Please bring this game up to Chris Giannini at the <laughs> tailgate this weekend. Because yeah. <laughs> Chris feels very strongly that like like Chris Chris is a big LSU fan and he is all about a low scoring defensive slugfest. This was not that. Yeah. This game was two offenses that just did not look like they were in sync or like they they really had the tools to operate. I mean, Aller was kind of like put on notice as, oh yeah, this is your first year starting in the Big Ten. Yeah, you got a you got a rocket launcher attached to your arm, but he like you you ain't ready for 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 big time. And then on the Ohio State side, like they really again they were missing Travian Henderson, but they really struggled to do much against a, a really good Penn State defense, and it Comicore didn't look great either. So like. The, the single-digit numbers next to these schools' names are, are probably a little idealistic. Um, I don't know where they've landed in, in, in this week's rankings. Uh, I assume Ohio State is still number three and that Penn State is – yeah, Penn State is 10 now. I, but um, I, I will say this. That is all absolutely true. The Chicago Bears are probably going to have the number one and number two pick in the draft, and Marvin Harrison's getting taken with one of those two picks. <laughs> yeah, and he that guy <laughs> is. They put Caden King on him the entire game. Didn't matter. He had a quarterback that could barely throw him a workable ball. It didn't matter. That guy's a monster. Um, he was so f- eleven receptions so, for one sixty-two in a TD. He's, he's he was insane. so flipping good. So Caleb Caleb Williams is going to be throwing him a lot of <laughs> yeah, good balls. There you go. Next yeah. Year is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that Williams to Harrison connection. Yeah. Can we go to the next yeah. game? This is the ones I. This is the one I really yeah. want to talk about. Speaking of teams with dreadful offenses, um, Minnesota twelve, Iowa ten. PJ Fleck beats Iowa for the first time in his career. Um, so do do you believe that Northwestern can average <laughs> two and a half yards per carry on the ground against Iowa, and that Brandon Sullivan could com- complete? 10 of 25 passes for an average of five yards per attempt. Because if yes. these things are true, Northwestern can beat Iowa. Yep. And the answer to the question of did the ref screw over Cooper Jean on that punt return? No. To, to all the nope. Iowa nope. fans out there, the ref absolutely did not have anything to do with that. We all made that happen with our minds. Because we can't stand the thought of you winning another game this way. That you don't deserve to win, where your offense doesn't show up at all, and some freak special teams play. But as an aside, yeah, like, it's it's the rule. It's not that he didn't make a fair catch. It's that you can't wave your arms around and then pick the ball up. They just didn't see it in the moment. Exactly. Like, once they saw it in the replay they were like yeah he was waving his arms around that's an illegal fair catch because someone yep. else could interpret it as you're making a fair catch yes we all know yep. it didn't re- it didn't remotely resemble a fair catch you can't wave your arms around and then pick the ball up uh the fair catch rule does not say your arm must be straight up in the air right it's like it says you wave your arm, which he absolutely like waves his back arm in the direction of the right. ref. Like, and people are like, mm-hmm. yeah, but like guys do that all the time. Yeah. Cause they're waving guys away from the punt but, and then they don't pick the punt up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. So, but I mean, again, like, right. Discusses. Well, yeah. so let's, let, so, so, so let's hit some other exciting notes from this game. So um, please, first of all, in, in a, in a, 
very brief moment of empathy for Iowa. Um, we know Cade McNamara's lost for the season. We know they lock, lost uh, their tight end, Luke Latchy, who was easily their best weapon. They've also now lost other Michigan transfer tight end, Eric All. Wow. Um, this leaves them with literally nothing. Um, they averaged against Minnesota 0.4 yards per attempt. <laughs> That uh, rushing that is mostly because oh. that's mostly because Deacon Hill got tackled eight times for minus 22 yards. Um, he also scored a touchdown. So um, but he's also not a quarterback. <laughs> We've talked about how Deacon Hill is averaging like 40 percent completion on the year. He was 10 of 28 in this game, <laughs> 10 Ooh. of 28 in this game. I- um, and they can't run the ball. And I like what it. Iowa, what is it you said you would say you do here? Now, granted, Deacon Hill fumbled twice, so like maybe there's a little bit of fumble luck here, et cetera. But like, my goodness. I mean, again, their defense is unreal. That's why Minnesota scored 12 points in this game. Like the defense hasn't gone anywhere. It's incredible. It is the only thing that they have. But I will say, like, on top of everything that Scuzz just said, remember too. This Northwestern team, especially as this defense is rounding into a higher level of form, especially on the defensive line, is best against teams that run straight ahead. This is like Iowa is not a team that is trying to send speed to the flanks and run read option football. Deacon Hill is a bowling ball and they're just going to try to run straight ahead. And again, Brian Ferentz is unbelievably bad at his job. So... They're like, it's a vanilla, straightforward, non-working offense. And we just have to play them level. This is the thing. So like, what? Well, so interesting. Like I was Rundy is still really good. Um, good receivers can make hay against this. Like Daniel Jackson had seven catches for 101 yards. Yeah. From Ethan Kelly um, and <laughs> Yeah. Like great. Like, like, I mean, so Ethan Kelly Manis only had 126 yards total but he was able to hit his best receiver for a bunch um, that it's not a shut. It's not a shutdown D quite on last year's level. Um, but here's, here's the best part is that all of the off season jokes, all of the humor, all of the schadenfreude leveled at Brian Ferentz has come home to roost in the funniest way possible. Um, I mean, like a week ago, I was literally saying to you guys and, and to, to, to to some friends at work as well, like, I don't actually think like Brian Ferentz might only average 18 yard or 18 points a game this year. They're not going to fire him because Iowa might go 11 and one after having beaten Wisconsin. And when you couple that with like, oh, okay, McNamara got hurt and yada yada, like whatever, like they like you can't argue with wins. We put up all these wins. It's the best Iowa season in God knows how long. Like, of course, we're not going to fire Brian Ferentz. Now they're firing Brian Ferentz. Right. You cannot lose <laughs> right. at home to PJ Fleck for the first time, averaging zero point four yards per carry against a team that, by the way, Northwestern beat. Yep, and and you know what. This is this is the this is the greatest it's the greatest gift to those of us who do not root for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Hey, it's the greatest hey, gift. Hey, we could be talking about a game between two teams that Northwestern beat and let's make the second half of that happen. Hell yeah. Uh shout out to Rutgers. 
31-14, beats Indiana. They're Rutgers going bowling. Rutgers is just good. I did not I did not see it coming, but they just are. Like I I mean again, we, they got a lot of losses coming down the pike. But then again, I think they still get is it they might have a game against Purdue maybe? I have to look at their schedule. I know I looked and I saw that they had one other one that looked pretty winnable. Um but like I hate to say uh they they've got Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State and Maryland. Okay. Left. They can win Two yeah, so they could get Iowa, and then, I mean, Penn State will probably write the ship, but boy, if the Drew Aller who was seeing ghosts in that Ohio State game, boy, like, Rutgers can hang. But, I mean, realistically, Rutgers is going to win seven or eight games and bowl. Like, I, no one saw that coming. I mean, they're, they're, they're bowling now, so, I mean, it's just, you know, how how good of a bowl game will it be? Um, you know, Indiana is, is Indiana. I, I don't know what my much else to say there. Wisconsin comes back to beat Illinois 25-21. I'm curious, Scuzz, did you watch this game? I watched some of it early. I did I did not see the comeback. Because that's the thing. Like I like that's like I didn't like Illinois was crushing Wisconsin entering the fourth quarter of this game. And then they absolutely imploded. <laughs> um so I, I don't I don't know either. I mean again like big win for Wisconsin, but again against Illinois, against an Illinois team that has been, like, really rough. So, I don't know, like, what this means or... Let me see if I can piece this together quickly. So, Braylon Allen had 30 carries for 145 yards in this game. Um, I'm starting here in the second half, but the first drive of the second half, Allen carries the ball one, two, three, four, five times. Um, oh, I'm sorry, four, five, six times. Um, the next drive, he carries it one, two, three, four times. And then the last drive, he carries it another one, two, three, four times. So, um, I guess, I guess there's, I guess there's not a, there's not a story here where Braylon Allen doesn't get the ball early. And I think, I think Braden Locke, who was the quarterback for this game, um, because, uh, Wisconsin's other QB, um, Mordecai. Mordecai is injured and out. So Braden Locke looked really bad, uh, last week when he came in in the second half against Iowa after Mordecai got hurt and he turned things around this week. He was 50% complete. He didn't throw any picks. Um, he carried the ball a handful of times, but, um, he found, you know, he found his receivers. He was able to, to get back in. And it just, I don't know. I don't know if Illinois kind of like lost sight of like got too comfortable late. They were up. I mean, they were up 21 seven and then Wisconsin scored in the next three drives and Illinois, you know, got very modest yards and punted twice and then, and then turned it over on downs. But they like their offense just completely stalled out in the second half. And it was like a complete flip to the flip of the script. So I, it's, it is hard. It is hard to fathom. I think, I think Wisconsin structurally is still pretty good, even with, even with the drop off at quarterback, but um, they're definitely vulnerable. And they, you know, again, this is, I've been on this all year. Like, they may be figuring out to lean more on Braylon Remembering Allen that there was Scott. as the course of the season goes on. 
Yeah, yeah, and that they have this freaking <laughs> awesome running back, and maybe they shouldn't let their QB ca- like like by comparison, Mordecai was carrying the ball fifteen to twenty times a game. Braden Locke carried the ball three times in this game. Right there, that's an improvement on the structure of Wisconsin's offense. They might be better because of Mordecai's injury, and it saves them from themselves. All right, so on to this weekend's game. Um, Didn't mention it before, but Maryland is a 13.5-point favorite uh, on the road against us. How how that double-digit spread against Nebraska work work out for folks? Hey, we covered, yeah. Uh, 11 a.m. game on Big Ten Network. Uh, So those of you who are not going to be joining us in one of the last games at Ryan Field, we think, um, we'll see you on Big Ten Network. 11 a.m. on CBS, Indiana at Penn State. Penn State is a 32-point favorite. The over-under is 46. Sounds about right. Yeah, I will say, McCord was an absolute mess when Ohio State played Indiana in the first week of this season, and it really let Indiana stay in the game for a long time. I'll be curious if they even give Aller the chance to do that or if they just run a million times with those backs and just plow Indiana. That's what well, I would do. It, it's also supposed to be super rainy in State yeah. College, which is partially yeah. why that over-under is so low. So mm-hmm. bad, bad weather is going to turn this into a um, just a, a yeah, singleton fest. Yep. Uh, 2.30 on Big Ten Network, Michigan State at Minnesota. Minnesota, a seven-point home favorite. That seems a, like a really low line. Oh, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Minnesota's I, no no peach, but like, woof. Yeah, and it seems like Taylor's coming back into form, too. Yes. Um, and they have him in there at home. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that's so low. Uh, Purdue at Nebraska, 2.30 on FS1. Nebraska, a two-and-a-half-point home favorite. Over under is 39 and a half. That's going to be an inch. I mean, it's one to keep an eye on. I mean, as we start to pivot towards being conscious of Purdue here, I mean, they're, they're a ways down the road, but I'll be curious to measure their performance versus Nebraska against yeah. ours. G- given, given there's like a, like a 10 point difference in, in the line they're giving Purdue versus the line they gave us. Right. Um, I'm pretty surprised. Uh, I I would expect a similar outcome, but um, their offense should probably put up more points than ours did, just given some of the problems we talked about. And then uh, six thirty on NBC, Ohio State at Wisconsin. Uh, Buckeyes a fourteen and a half point road favorite uh, in Madison. Well, Braden Locke, you <laughs> you get to. Yeah, you beat Illinois. <laughs> now you get to see what you can do against Ohio State. And here's here's the other thing about this too: Wisconsin doesn't have anyone who can handle Harrison, and they're no. not a good pass rushing no. football team. I mean, they have no. their strengths, and there is an outside chance that this game could be a preview of the Big Ten title game, but it's not an even match. Like Ohio State's strengths go right against Wisconsin's weaknesses. This game is all about what Ohio State does or doesn't do. If they yeah. if they play mistake free solid execution football, they will wipe Wisconsin off the map. Um, looking around the country, uh, no real interesting games on Thursday or Friday that I can see. Um, going to Saturday, I know you got Florida Georgia, which is going to be a bloodbath. Meh. Um, 
just scanning through. Or, or Oregon, Utah is interesting. Oregon, Utah, yeah. But but kind of only in the sense that Utah beat USC in such dramatic fashion last week. It almost it almost seems preordained that Oregon is going to beat them. But it is at Utah, so you get the the altitude effect and other things. Sure. Like, yeah, that'll be tricky. Duke, Duke Louisville is a great one yeah. just because we've been loving both of those teams. I mean, not yeah. loving having to play Duke, but, but one of those teams picks up another win and continues to push forward with a magical season. My guess is yeah. it will be Duke, but I, I mean, Leonard got knocked out again in the Florida state game. And if he's not healthy, uh, I just don't, yeah. I don't think like Duke's not Duke without him. And I, yeah, we'll see. It stinks if that's, you know, if it, if it ends up going down like that, because Duke has been, but I don't know. We'll see. Like again, like both of those teams have a lot going for them, and it's. I'll be curious to see if it's if it's a good game. You guys think uh, UCLA is seventeen points better than uh, Dion in Colorado? No, no, I do not. Probably not. That's an interesting one. Like, I mean, it's a wild, it's a wild line, but. If they do crush Colorado, it's going to be one of those kind of okay. We're kind of really starting to wake yep. up moments. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Nothing else is really jumping out as far as you know. Must watch TV. Where, where's game day this week? Do we know? Salt Lake City. Okay. So yeah, Oregon, uh, Oregon, Utah. No. Uh. Cam, Cam Rising, Utah's. Um. Excellent quarterback from last year, whom everybody has been waiting to show back is ba- show back up this year has basically been ruled out for the season. So it's going to be. I don't even think it's basic. I th- think they straight up said he's done. Yeah, for the no, year. yeah that, that's what I mean. Yeah, so it's Bryson Barnes uh, is the guy, um, the dude who like put the team on his back and kind of willed them to come back in the in the in that last two minutes to beat USC last weekend. If anybody was watching that, um, when he's, I'm I'm just citing for one of these early season interconference matchups big 10 big 12 like big <laughs> big time football game oh yeah um real quick before we go want to want to shout out uh northwestern field hockey um 15 game winning streak currently rated number one in the country uh picks up a share of the big 10 championship with a win at Rutgers at number four ranked Rutgers in a shootout uh, this past weekend, um, they got a, a home game against Maryland on Thursday, the 26th, and then they're off to the Big Ten tournament in Ann Arbor. But uh, yeah, uh, field hockey playing amazing, amazing hockey. Um, Their only blemish that uh, week one loss uh, to Louisville um, won nothing. So since then, it's been, uh, you know, nothing but wins. And again, it's it's a for a team that you know like notably lost Ben Tabakers, um, amongst others from last year's team. It's still a team that's stacked. They still have Annabelle Skubish, um, who's continues to be one of the very best goalies in the country, and Lauren Wada, Celia Marshall, etc. Like they're, it's a stacked team. I mean, we know this, and it's just the mirror reflection that is field hockey in the fall and lacrosse in the spring of these two just monsters mowing everyone down right now. And again, that's not to, to put the cart before the horse, but I mean, it's very much that feeling, the same feeling that we had last spring of a team that is taking names from absolutely everyone rolling into the postseason, um, where the expectation is a title. 
and that you know now they are going to do everything they can to live up to that anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight guys just make your plans get to the get to the tailgate this week um meet some special guests hear some cool stories and then uh if you're not going to wrigley find find the guys at uh at Bermiscuous and um yeah yeah 28 28 12 north lincoln avenue um just steps from the uh, diversity l stop uh if you're you're taking public transportation um yeah it, it, it's gonna be a really good time it's a i cannot speak highly enough of, about this place it's awesome and again northwestern alum owned so uh it's gonna be a good time yeah and again like they like scott was saying yeah come out this friday i mean this saturday morning see us and then let's go hey this one you know in some ways was was a fantastic performance in other ways was a horrible for performance um let's see it all come together i think we all know that this is a team that just is bouncing around with inconsistencies let's let's see it click let's get back on the right you know get right back on the horse here pick up a big win that no one expects us to to pick up and then uh put the narrative of this season right back where we want it to be uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, Westlaw Pirates, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Brian Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.